Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. It's a Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. Darren, if you want to get some questions ready to go, I just wanted to make a quick opening statement and just remind you again, please, 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 if you are a farmer, pick your products up early this spring. Ag is absolutely deemed an essential industry, and we don't foresee any big shutdowns or anything like that. But nevertheless, you don't want to take any chances because Anyone you're working with may have people who are not doing well in their office, so obviously they're going to go home. They're going to stay home potentially for two weeks, and all of a sudden you might have lines at wherever you pick product up in the spring. You can avoid all that. Just get your product right now. So that's what we're doing on our farm, getting ready with seed, with herbicide, with fertilizer. In fact, we've already spread about half our fertilizer for spring, sprayed about half our herbicide out. We really like doing that on frozen ground on days where it's going to be thawing in the afternoon. Then we get rain or like snow like we just did overnight. That soaks into the ground. Herbicide, fertilizer works fantastically well. This is an awesome way to go on ground that's not going to get destroyed by a river or something this spring. So, you know, on about 98% of land, this can absolutely be done. But anyway, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, got an email from Brent in north central Iowa. He said, we just picked up a new 110-acre farm. Really excited. Recently pattern tiled the areas with pH over 7.3. There was about 20 acres of it that was in a slough that, that was not a wetland that we could tile. He said, we did put some lime out there last fall where needed. And now I've got another $95 an acre that I can put out this spring towards dry fertilizer spread variable rate before we no-till drill soybeans in April. In the fall of 2020, we'll strip-till more dry fertilizer for next year's corn crop, but I'm wondering where you think I'll get the most bang for my buck right now. Should I focus on potash? Should I use some MAP and some potash? Or what do you think about the sulfur, zinc, copper, boron? My thought was spending it on a 15 nitrogen, 72 phosphorus, 170K, one pound zinc and one pound boron. All good, except for you're really low on sulfur. Don't forget about sulfur. You, you need some. Otherwise, I like that program. I think it's a great idea. Yeah, it, you know, the very often we get to these situations where we say, okay, I only have so many dollars to spend. Where should my first dollar go? Well, we often then talk about the first dollar. We don't build out the whole thing. You see what I'm trying to say here? Because if you put on only potassium, well, you're going to have a major issue because you've also got this ground. that Most of it looks really short in phosphorus. It's really short in sulfur. The zinc's not terrible. I, I mean, you can put a little bit of zinc on, but I, I don't think you're going to get a lot of response from that this year. For your corn, absolutely. For your soybeans, you're not at a terrible level right now. Boron, yeah, that's terrible. Um, Copper even, you know, you got some spots that are a little low. But I think overall your program's fine. I might take a few dollars out of the zinc and boron and put those into the sulfur, and I'd call it good. 
All right. Thanks for the question, Brent. We really appreciate that. I uh, got one here from John up in Nova Scotia, and he said, I've got a piece of land that I'm cutting the trees out of right now. Currently, it's woods, uh, taking out uh, hardwoods and, and other trees out there. I want to make it into a pasture, and I'm wondering, do you have any information on what would be the best seed to use or best varieties of grass to put out in there? Does it make much difference? Uh, and also, would you recommend field grazing it in the spring? Boy, those are good questions, John. We are not uh, growing up on a timber farm for sure, so that isn't something we've converted. Wait, where did you uh, say this was? Nova Scotia. Yeah, so here, here's the first thing. Before you do anything else, I would be soil testing, and you can do the soil testing before you even pull the trees off. You want to find out where you're at very commonly, depending on the type of tree that you've got. We see pH get pretty low. We see fungal activity real good, not so good for bacterial activity. And pastures, grass pastures, need both bacteria and fungi. So anyway, you might have to do some liming. You might have to do some fertility applications. And the whole thing is, the reason why I really bring this up, and I mean, we talk about this all the time, of course, but for annual crops, you got another shot every year. When you're talking about pasture ground, well, you only have one shot maybe in your lifetime to seed it right, to fertilize it right, to get that ground in good shape going all the way down to six inches or potentially even 12 inches deep if you really wanted to. So, I'm, you know, we've got a lot of nutrients that your crop, and by crop I mean pasture, your grass may need like phosphorus, zinc, copper, even to some degree potassium that don't move well in soil. So if you can get them down in that ground right now and get everything good, you're going to be in a lot better shape. So that's the main thing that I would tell you there. Do that first. Fix drainage, fix fertility. Once that happens, now you're a lot more open. Now you can put about any, well, not about any, but a lot of different types of grass out there. And my suggestion on that is we're not experts in your area for the grasses. So we would just suggest you talk to some extension person, some research person, some university person that does have that expertise in your area for particular grass types. All right. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, John. Yeah. Speaking of grass types, Michael sent in a question. The impossible question, Brian, what are your thoughts on controlling common Bermuda grass in coastal Bermuda grass? Wow. When you've got a couple different types of a very similar grass, <laughs> yep. it's tough. We get those kinds of questions in small grains all the time, too. How do we take out volunteers of one variety in another variety? And we just don't have that oats. kind yeah. of selectivity. So I don't know of any product that would do that. You're just going to have to deal with it with rotation. A lot of guys will use a Roundup Ready soybean, for example, in between so they can spray stuff out with Roundup and take care of volunteers that way. It's Farmer Friday on our show today. We're taking your calls and questions, and we'll get right back to it after this. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. 
high electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The Grain Depth Guard from Farm Shop MFG has helped farmers keep their bushels safe from spoilage and shrinkage loss in bins all across the country. And this low-cost solution just became even more affordable. Farm Shop MFG is offering a $100 factory rebate on all Grain Temp Guard bin monitoring systems. This offer is available for a limited time only, so take advantage of this program now to upgrade your bins and protect your crop investments. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us. You already heard us get to some of those email questions. Radio at agphd.com is the way to do that. Or you can find us online on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head out to Ohio, uh, rainy, wet Ohio. Boy, this kind of sounds a little bit like last year. We've got Rick from Ohio with us right now. Rick, how you doing? Oh, too blessed to be depressed. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I heard you guys are getting a bunch of rain, and I got thinking, oh, no, not Ohio, but you can actually probably handle a little bit of rain now, right? Well, it all runs to the bottom the problem. Uh, <laughs> we got three inches this morning between four and nine and had some localized flooding and roads closed and things like that. But now the sun's out and shining and blue skies, and we're all good. So what's the game plan this year? I know last year was, was a tough one, but uh, going into this season – Starting clean, is it going to be back to your normal rotation, or are you doing things different? No, probably going to be about the normal. It's just, I mean, this year is starting out to look worse than last year, if you can believe that. Uh, we never got within three days of being able to work any ground or anything, and it's just really the last, we've had probably four, four and a half inches of rain in the last week. And we are just water pooled, flooding, just, yeah, there's been no field work, very little fertilizer going on. It was, what was done was done last fall, and that's it. What's your first crop insurance date for planting corn? Well, I can't tell you that because we don't plant corn. We're basically uh, hay and livestock. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. So, man, yeah, you got, you got some interesting things coming up here okay so for the for the hay are we talking alfalfa hay or grass hay what do you yeah what do you we, we do? uh usually like to keep uh, around 40 acres around up ready alfalfa and then the rest is uh mixed brome alfalfa mixed hay some orchard grass but uh yeah we'd plan to be fertilizing by now that hasn't happened yet uh did uh some tillage last fall put down the potash and the phosphorus for the ground that would be reseeded this spring and yeah it's just it's really, really challenging. You know, when you, you look at that, um, 
I was thinking about the the grasses. It helps for grass establishment to have some moisture, but but having excessive moisture like this where you can't even get out in the field, that's that's no fun either. What what I guess tell me about 2019 and anything that you learned from that. Did you get a little bit see of new stuff seeded that year or you just couldn't get in at all? We didn't get anything seeded wow. last year. Our fall of 2018 was so wet, we got no fertilizer down, no tillage done. And the later we got in the spring, I ran out of nerve and pulled the plug early. Uh, yeah, I didn't even order seed the year before. Now, this year, I've got all the seed in place. It's on the ground, fertilizer's ordered, ready to spread. You know, like I say, I put the potash and stuff on last fall. So we're there. All we yep. need is, you know, a few dry days to get it. And Okay, so what's your window for, for planting that? Do you do you have a little bit longer, or are you worried then about it getting dry yeah, in the summer? I, use, I usually want in by at least the first week of April, and I mean that's late for me, but we have gone into mid to late April, even up to the first of May, but yeah, I typically, yeah, first week of April, I like to be in. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's and it's, I'm not panicking yet. I'm an optimist. I mean, it, it, it's always worked out and it always will. It's yeah. We're just we need to be patient and calm and yeah, it'll be okay. So with the livestock, I assume you're using a lot of this hay for feed as well. Yeah, yeah. We run about 600 ewes and then we've got 95 head of beef cattle that we wintered. So yeah, most of it ends up in about 12,000 will end up in little square bales that go in the barn. Rest around bales, but. Uh, yeah, hay is our main crop. I mean, we, we live and die on our quality of our hay. In the last two years, it hasn't been anything to brag about. Oh. Yeah, last year we cut first cutting hay, uh, 20th of June was when we started. We got the first cutting. Oh, goodness. Yeah. 12, and we cut tracks then. I yeah. bet. I bet you did. At 12,000 square bales. That kind of brings me back, Brian. We used to have two barns that we had to fill with square bales when <laughs> we were kids. That was our exercise program. I, I don't know. What, what do you yeah. do when you don't have that exercise program? I suppose you get fat. I don't know. I haven't had that problem yet. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, what a, what but a no, year. like I say, even no one, none of the corn, they've worked no ground. There's virtually no fertilizer on, you know, everybody's got planters ready. Everything's in place, but you know, this is going to set us back at least another two weeks. So sure. yeah, it's, you know, it, it may be challenging. I don't know. It's yeah. Yeah. It will be but I have a tendency not to panic and it'll all work out. You know, we've been blessed, and we'll be blessed from here on. It's just we need to be patient and work with it. Yep, and get some sunshine. We'll be praying for you. We're talking to Rick yeah. in Ohio. Rick, good luck this spring. Really hope that sunshine comes soon. Okay, you take care. Thanks for the call. You bet. Uh, I've got John on with us now up in Michigan. John, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. Uh, Want to talk a little no-till corn on corn. What you got cooking? Well, uh, I am not a no-tiller, so this is kind of stepping out of my comfort zone here, but we got some couple farms with some lighter ground that I think we're probably just slowly burning the organic matter out of it with years of tillage, and I think we just need to, to try a new approach at it, and uh, I guess I'm looking for some tips or advice on, on how to handle that. 12-row, uh, 1770 John Deere planter, not really decked out with a lot of attachments on it. I mean, we got a Get a row cleaner, no-till, colder combination on the back, or on the front, I mean, uh, just standard rubber press wheels on the back. But this is pretty light ground. I'm, I'm thinking we're not going to have problems clearing the residue, closing the seed trench afterwards. But I guess I'm. my questions are more on the fertility side. Do we need more nitrogen on that ground? Is it going to stay colder? 
kind of kind of hold my hand, walk me through here how to how to do this. Uh, yes and yes, John. So you do need more nitrogen when it's corn on corn, and especially when you just first start no-till. And then it absolutely is going to be colder. So I, I will just tell you, we did no-till on roughly half our acres for about 10 years. Corn, beans, continuous corn, some continuous beans. We did a whole bunch of stuff. We do a lot of things in part just for research, just so on a big scale, we farm about 3,000 acres, just so we can better answer questions like this when they come up. So anyways, quite a long time ago when we did this, about starting 25 years ago to about 15 years ago, we switched all our no-till acres to strip-till 15 years ago because of two problems. Number one was cold soil temps, and number two was nutrient stratification. So basically, all our fertilizer was still getting broadcast or put on with the planter, and we found that almost all our P and K and zinc and everything was in the top two inches, and the, and the majority of our roots were in the four to eight inch range. Well, that's, that's not matching things up very good, so we weren't getting very good efficiency out of the fertilizer. And the other issue, like I said, was colder soil temps. I mean, when we started experimenting with strip-till, we right away said, wow, look at the corn pop out of the ground. And wow, as we measured soil temps, on average, it was seven degrees warmer in the strip than in between or in our no-till. And, it, I mean, instantly we go, oh, yeah, we got to do something here. We're in the north, just like you. We're in the north. We're cold all the time. And so that that's our number one challenge with going no-till. So I'm not saying don't no-till. I'm just saying that is a big concern. So if you're going to have colder soils, that means uh, insecticide is more important. Fungicide is more important. Seed treatment is more important. Having a variety, a seed variety that has a fantastic saturated cold germination score is more important. I mean, it can still work okay, but you got to have some other things right. It just changes the management a lot. I say it quite often here on the show. You can do about any tillage system you want, but you just have to manage it differently. And if you do, you'll 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 turn out okay. So, am I super worried with the planter you said and and what you've got going? If you've got very light soil and there's not too much residue out there. I'm not super concerned, but I'll tell you one other issue we ran into in no-till, and we ran into the same thing with strip-till to some degree, but in no-till it was the worst. We'd go out there and try to plant relatively early in the spring, and it was always cold and damp. Well, we're trying to cut through existing residue, and that didn't work very well at all. So we switched over to chopping corn heads, and then we were able to at least get better stands. So we would hairpin residue constantly when we would leave the stalks tall. That's what a lot of guys, when they switch to no-till, they'll tell you, oh, leave the stalks tall. We found that was absolutely the wrong thing to do. That killed us on stands for several years till we figured it out. And we said, hey, we've got to switch over to chopping corn heads. Um, hey, John, we got to take a quick break here. If you want to hang on for us, I can answer some more questions. We can talk a little more about your no-till corn you're thinking about this spring. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump, providing the ultimate protection. This wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. 
What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for Heads Up Seed Treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are live in the Morton studio today on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743 or email us radio at agphd.com. So right before the break, we were talking to John from Michigan. He was questioning no-till corn, and and he just said, hey, kind of step me through this a little bit. I just made the comment, yep, the soil is going to be colder, at least in your first year of no-till continuous corn. Yeah, you need a little more nitrogen. I will usually tell people about 50 more pounds compared to normal corn production. But, I mean, that can, that can vary a little bit depending on how much residue is there and, and, and everything and what the year brings. But, anyway, John, what else did you have for questions? Well, when are you putting that extra nitrogen on? Are you putting it on early or are you adding it at side dress or when are you putting that on? Yep, I, I would just say we got to make sure we never have that plant short on nitrogen. So when you said it's lighter soil, like how light are we talking about? Do you happen to know what the cation exchange capacity is or anything? I'm going to say it's uh, 6 to 8 on that farm. Okay. So, yeah, you can't be putting a whole slug of nitrogen on early or you're just going to lose it. 
I mean, I would want to have 60 or 80 pounds on at least to begin with, but I'd make sure that I'm in there early. So we often talk about with side dress doing it extra early in our environment because we're so dry. For you, you get a little more moisture than us, so I don't think I'd worry about it too much. And your nitrogen obviously is going to move pretty quickly as soon as you put it on the ground with a little rain with that light of soil. So yeah, I would absolutely be throwing a little more out there. Um, you know, you could even bump it a little bit if you want to, if you're doing broadcast, for example, and some gets tied up in that residue, you could even put on 100, 120 pounds to begin with, just because of all that residue that's sitting out there yet. And the bacteria are going to tie up some of that nitrogen initially, and eventually that'll come back to you. But uh, yeah, maybe push it a little bit right now or you know at planting time around there and then you've got your side dress application worst case scenario if you start getting big time yields eventually you might have to go to two side dress applications just because your soil is so light gotcha 20 years ago we used to be 100 south farrow to finish hog operation and this particular farm is kind of kitty corner from where the hog barns used to be so at one time it got a lot of manure, and it really grew good crops. But yeah. the pigs have been gone for 20 years, and I think we've slowly over time just lost the benefits of the manure that we had at that time, you know, yep. and uh, we're just n- not moving forward on it. Yeah, so ma- makes, I appreciate your help. Yeah, you bet. It makes complete sense. And we've we've had ground where it's somewhat similar to this, maybe not quite as light but close, and we just went continuous corn for about 10, 15 years. That really helped build the organic matter, just built the soil in general. We tried to build it up as much as we could, adding some more manure in, in a lot of cases, but otherwise just even with commercial fertilizer. And then the other focus when you say, hey, it used to have manure, hasn't for a long time. The other thing we've commonly seen, at least in our operation, is lack of micronutrients then. We were really focused on NP and K for so many years, kind of forgot about the micros. So I, I'd be taking a look at that a little bit too. And there are a lot of micros that even in your lighter soil, they're not going anywhere like zinc or copper, for example. So I'm just trying to say if you put them out there and you overdo it just a little bit, it's not the end of the world because they're going to be there for a long time till your crop eventually uses it. So anyway, John, thanks for the call today. Really appreciate it and good luck to you this spring. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. You bet. Thanks. All right. Uh, yeah, again, we're taking calls and questions throughout the show today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Uh, let's head up to North Dakota. we got Jeff on the line with us. Jeff, how's it going? Not too bad. So what's happening on your farm today? Oh, just working on the shop, getting tractors ready to go, and uh, getting things organized in the shop. You know, that seems to be a, a full-time winter job on farms in the north, and I find it interesting. As I travel the country, I find shops that are not heated. They're not even closed. They maybe just have a overhead coverage. But in North Dakota, you kind of need that warm shop to have a place to get stuff done. So when, when you look at your shop over the years, how has it changed? Have you made any modifications over the last decade or so? Um. Yeah, we have. We actually had uh, used to have a 40 by 100 foot curvet and we were having problems with tractors getting in and out and we had so we have a 68 by 83 foot curvet that's right next to it that we converted so we actually have our main shop which is now a 68 by 83 curvet that has a 14 by 45 foot door and a 16 by 30 door on the one on the other end and our then we converted our old shop into a 
kind of a heated storage facility for like chemical parts, things that we don't want to let freeze, but we don't need to have sitting in our shop. Absolutely. Yeah. Brian and I were just talking about this too, about how big the equipment is and, and just how it's changed over the years. Cause some of our old buildings, we can't even get the equipment in anymore. So yeah, we're, we're stuck in the same boat where we had to make some doors bigger and make some buildings a little bit bigger just to be able to work on stuff. Yeah. We're lucky we got the folding hoppers on our, our six uh, eighties. Otherwise we'd have a tough time getting them in and out of our, even our new shop. So, you know, when uh, I think about where you're at in North Dakota, the harvest was so difficult. There's still farmers across North Dakota harvesting. What do you see in your area? How much is still left in the field? Have guys been able to get most of it out? I would say most of the corn has been harvested now. We just finished our corn uh, a week ago Tuesday, and it was like 50 degrees up here when we finished up. So we had a little interesting time because the ground got soft, but I think most guys have wrapped up in this area now. Yeah, it was quite the challenge. Were you waiting for moisture to come down on the corn, or was it just a matter of, hey, the snow came too quick, we couldn't get in there? We were waiting for moisture to come down because we had a grain dryer fire uh, last day after Christmas last year, so we lost our dryer. So we kind of had to uh, sit back and, you know, we would have been done, but we waited because, you know, we wanted to, we were putting it in the bins and I don't like putting it in. And so we were, we were able to wait until it got to like 15 to 16 and a half moisture. Wow. And uh, we were able to combine it all and put it right into air bins. Outstanding. So uh, learning from those lessons from last year, are you changing anything? Are you going to earlier corn? Are you doing a little less acres of corn? How are you going to deal with it for 2020? Um, We're changing up a little. Uh, we did go with a little bit earlier maturing. Um, we I did pull some. We did grow some 83-day corn. We pulled it down. We're, you know, 75 to a, like an 81-day now. We pulled some maturity back. Um, we are we have a new dryer system getting built since the old one burnt up. And we also are going to go, we're trying strip till this year. We I, uh, had a friend that bought a bigger one, so we're, we uh, bought a used 12-row strip till. So we're going to try and we're going to strip till all our corn ground that we actually are going to increase this year. We're actually increasing corn acres this year okay so talk to me about that strip till are you set up then to put on dry fertilizer liquid fertilizer or are you just building the strips and doing fertilizer later we are actually setting it up to do uh dry fertilizer and anhydrous we still use anhydrous on our operation and so we're setting it up so we're going to be pulling and putting down um, most of our end needs and we're going to put down phosphorus and potash at the same time so we're going to we're going to utilize making that pass and making that strip. We're going to utilize putting the nutrients that we need up front that it's harder to put down with a planter. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm confident you're going to like that. The strip till's been a good thing here and I know some of the heavy ground you guys have to work with uh, up in that neck of the woods. It it's not real forgiving. So when you can get out there with the strip till, hopefully in the fall a lot of times you'll have a little better soil conditions to work with. Yeah, that's our plan. This year we're going to do it in the spring just cuz the way last fall was, but uh, sure. our plan is to always be able to do it in the fall. You get a better, you get it, and then you're not having that workload in the spring also. You bet. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, way to go, Jeff. Yeah, I'm excited about that with the new dryer system and uh, this new strip-till venture. It'll be, it'll be an interesting 2020 on your farm. I look forward to talking to you again down the road. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Yep. Thank you. 
It's Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can email us radio at agphd.com. The strip-till thing's been big for us too, Brian. I really have loved the root system, the ability to do multiple jobs at once, like Jeff was talking about doing NP and K all in one shot. Yeah, if you've got a multiple hopper uh, car, a lot of guys are doing that now where they can variable rate different things out there as they're going across the field. A lot of options when it comes to strip tail should be fun. We'll be right back after this, taking more of your calls and questions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic insecticides from Atticus, LLC. Unwanted insects are a nuisance, but they're no match for Serpent from Atticus. Serpent delivers economical, fast-acting, broad-spectrum control to help your corn, soybeans, and wheat crops thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG soil fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like Water Hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday, taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today. Our phone lines are open at 
44 Ag PhD. You ready for the soil question, Brian? Or you want me to take another one first? Oh, okay, you got to look through that a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, I got I to I probably have 10 minutes. Yeah, so, uh, well, just just throw it out here, and then, well, I'll try to get to it later in the show. I don't, I didn't see anything just at first glance, but go ahead. Well, and, and we get this all the time, and it's a challenge after the fact to figure these things out. But uh, Jason from Central Indiana sent us some soil tests from a couple different fields. Now, he said the front fields did really well, yielded 180, 190 backfields, consistently running in the 70 to 100 bushel range supposedly the same fertility went on the whole farm but he said i'm not sure those backfields got what the front did when they yielded 100 bushel less and he said you know he took some soil tests and he was wondering if we could look through these soil tests and try to figure out what happened he wants to plant liberty beans out liberty link beans out there this year and just doesn't want to see any 50 percent yield loss on those backfields again yeah, so I, I mean, we can go slow here and we can talk about it just a little bit. I mean, we always look at pH first on the backfield. So the backfield's the problem, right? Yep. Uh, you know, I look at pH. Okay. Oh, and you said corn, right? And it's, it's basically half year. the yield. Okay. Yep. So yeah, if he was getting 180, 190 bushel beans, I don't think he'd be right now. <laughs> right. Good point. Good point. Okay. So 6.1 to 6.3 pH. You look at that, you go, okay, well, no problem. It's lighter soil. 7579 for CEC. The other one, it's 93 and 7 for CEC. So, you know, the if one of the front fields is also 7 for CEC, that tells you, and last year was a wet year, most likely in his area, just like it was everywhere else, that, that may not have been the, the, the problem. But I do say, I, I would say, let's see, where is he from again? Central Indiana. That's what I thought. Central Indiana, I was in Central Indiana three times last spring and summer and it was horrifically wet so my first guess is that we got a drainage problem out there now when you see an eight cec on average normally you're going to think oh i'm never going to have a drainage problem well you do if you get double normal rainfall we've learned that the hard way as well so my first thought is the backfield sits a little bit lower than the front field because when I start looking at nutrients, okay, I go to some of the other things. Is the base saturation K too low? Yes, he's not even close on where he needs to be in base saturation K. But, you know, on the front field, it's not like it's that much better. So, I mean, yeah, potassium's absolutely limiting his yield on all fields, no question about it, because it's so light for the soil. It, it's misleading because on one spot, even on the front field, he's got 4.4 base saturation K, which sounds okay. But the problem is on a light field, you can't hold very many pounds or parts per million. It's going to be really low. His pounds on K was only 241 there. Pounds of K. Well, I, I mean, that's not even close for what even a 200 bushel corn crop or 250 bushel corn crop needs. So, I, I mean, he needs K in a desperate way. I mean, like hundreds of pounds to start getting things up. So that that's a that's a big factor. And could it have been the K? And could it have been that he drew more out or had applied more on the front field? Yeah, that's an absolute possibility. You know, you go to some of the other things, his zinc level is real high in one spot in the backfield, but it's not so much on the other spot because that would have been one of the next things is, as I say, phosphorus. All right, his phosphorus uh, let's see. I'm trying to find where even his phosphorus test is. Do you even find where it's? Oh, yeah, there it is. His phosphorus is really low. 
and his zinc in one spot is really high. So I'll just give this to you. He's got 15 pounds of zinc in one spot and only 35 pounds of phosphorus in that same spot. So he's way, 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 way off. I mean, you've got to have roughly six times as much phosphorus out there in relation to that zinc. So could that be part of the issue? Because there are no high spots for zinc in the front field. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, he's, I just say on this backfield, and let's just sum this up and we can wind this up. The backfield's desperate for phosphorus. It is desperate for potassium. It is desperate for sulfur. So you get those three things in order, and you're probably going to be halfway okay. You're going to see those yields bump up. But I would also look at what was my drainage. And then you also need to probably start focusing on a few other things. I just gave you a, a, a couple or three there. But, you know, you're also terribly low on copper. You're terribly low on boron. There are several things to fix here. But, no, there isn't anything that stands out to me between the two fields where I go, oh, my goodness, this absolutely killed us. So I, I would just say everything to me it looks like needs a lot of fertility, and I'm guessing it was probably drainage that killed the backfield. It's my guess but I don't know without looking at it. Yep. And maybe some of that will make sense to you, Jason, and you can start thinking about, ah, you know what, I can rule out this or that makes sense. And, well, you know, even with that that zinc, and you've got so much zinc in the one spot as opposed to the other, you know, was there some sort of mess up on application with that? Right. That's, and, yeah, and you had the the perfect comment to, to open this, Darren. You said, we get a lot of these questions now. You know, it's six months later. We don't really know. And quite frankly, it's nine months or 11 yeah, months later. I mean, the problem could have happened way early. Well, it could have been weeds, insects, diseases, that, yeah, carryover. The only thing that we see here is nutrient levels. Right. And it may not have been that. It may have, yeah, like you say, it may have been a disease problem on that part of the field or, or something like that too. So there's so I don't, we're, a lot we're of We're throwing out a whole bunch of but, stuff. But That's we do why. see a yeah. few things on the nutrient analysis that, you know what, here's something that definitely hurts yield. In our experience on our farm, when our zinc is way too high as opposed to our phosphorus, we have problems. It brings our yield down. So we know that yeah, we those got lots two, of proven data on thousands of points. Yeah. So there are a few things that we see with fertility that could be addressed, and certainly, uh, you know, you you know what you used for herbicides and what could potentially have caused an in injury and those kinds of things too. Hey, thanks for the question, Jason. Really appreciate that. Uh, Brian, get one from. Uh, Let's see here. Got one from Chester in Montana, and he said, what nutrients will promote higher sugar levels in sugar beets? You know, that's a great question. I know what won't. If you get nitrogen all crazy, yeah. uh, that's not a good thing. So a lot of growers will try to get that nitrogen down so it's not at a crazy high level, and that helps them. And then beyond that, you just need to get all nutrients in balance. We just did a seminar with a three-day seminar with Neil Kinsey earlier this month, and it was really interesting because no matter what crap Neil talked about, it was balance, balance, balance. And oftentimes one of the things that he said over and over again is, you know what, you get this balance right, you can grow almost any crop in that soil. So I think getting nutrient balancing right and just getting nutrient balance right and just making sure that nitrogen is not too high are, are big things for getting that sugar level right. Thanks for the question, Chester. Really appreciate that. Let's, get, let's go to the phone lines here. we got George in Missouri right now. George, uh, I understand you got a soil test. Yes. Yes, I do. All right. What are your questions? Uh, why do they test the pH in salt? 
or water? I mean, why why both? That's a great question. Some labs will do both of those, and a lot of them will just do a, a water test, right, Brian? Is that the common one that we see, water? Yeah, yeah, that's common. But I, I, I don't. I don't really know exactly why it's done. All I know is with the water pH, that's usually going to be three quarters of a point or so higher than what the salt pH is. So it's going to get you in the general ballpark. You know, the the whole thing is we talk an awful lot about soils here, and sometimes we'll say exact numbers, but we're just trying to get in the general range. So sure. whether you have a salt pH or water pH, you know, we want that, that pH to be somewhere for a lot of crops in the 6 to 7 kind of range. And so either salt pH or water pH you know, you're probably relatively safe with that. But yeah, again, if you're looking at readings of both, it's very common where it's about three quarters of a point different. Yeah, it shows four sits, which is very low. <laughs> yep. On salt pH, okay. and five one is water. Right. And so either way, and again, it depends on what crop you're going to raise. So if it was blueberries. Uh, just hay. Okay. Yeah. If it's hay, yeah. Uh, oh, and do you mean grass hay or alfalfa hay? Grass grass hay. Okay, so... Right now I no-tailed oats in there. Sure, but you're going to want to get some lime out there. Either way, you've got to get that pH up. Those crops aren't going to like it very well if you're down into the fours and even fives, so we'd like to get that up near six plus. Well, thanks for the question, George. If you got anything else, just hang on with us. We'll be right back after this. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your corn head handle it? The GTS X10 Cornhead from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA US. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want, 
Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. Hey, Adam. New drone? Not just any drone. I mounted a laser on it to take out weeds. Look out for that tree. In the power lines! Oh, it's in for the house. There's a simpler way to protect spring wheat from weeds. Perfect Match Herbicide. The broadest spectrum weed and grass control in one product. Learn more at perfectmatchherbicide.com. Always read and follow label directions. The laser. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. If you have a question for us or want to talk about what's going on on your farm, we'd love to hear from you today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Just before the break, we were talking with George down in Missouri about the difference between a water pH test and a salt pH test. And uh, George, one other thing, I, I know when, when uh, they're adding the salt in on the salt test, they're adding in calcium chloride typically. And one of the things that they see is uh, the extent of the variation from the pH measure from the water pH test versus that salt test depends on the clay content of the soil, uh, the cation exchange, or the, I'm sorry, the cation saturation and the soluble salts that are present. This is uh, according to Midwest Labs. And what they are seeing is when they add that salt, some of the hydrogen from the soil can enter into the solution by exchanging cations with the salt solution. And that's why they're getting a little more hydrogen or a little lower pH with that salt in there because they're pulling a little more hydrogen out of the soil as some of that calcium exchanges for hydrogen. So in other words, they don't believe that the salt pH is as accurate as the water pH. Right. And they, oh, they okay. typically run the water pH and they'll only run that salt pH if they're specifically requested to. Now, I assume there's some soils that they may feel they're getting a little better reading out of the salt test, but uh, I'm not sure which ones. The, their standard test, and they run as many tests as anybody, their standard test is water. Um, my next question is phosphorus, five pounds. <laughs> That's all it shows. So we, we just picked up this ground. It's low on pH, low on phosphorus. Uh, when I planted the oats, no-tilled oats, uh, just for a hay crop, uh, put on two, 250 pounds the acre of DAP just to give it a boost of phosphorus. Uh, then once I see it's doing good, I want to go back and hit it again, like 523 or something like that, take that off, and then no-till something behind that when the summer gets here. So it is, I, w I want a build-up program. Is, am I starting right or not? Well, Darren, this actually sounds like some ground you picked up about, I don't know, <laughs> eight years ago or so. We, we called it the blank slate field because, unfortunately, George, well, it sounds like your ground. Worse. My <laughs> test was even worse, though, George. I had one part per million on my test. I actually talked to somebody from Midwest Labs, and I said, boy, I got low phosphorus. It shows one part per million on your test. And they said, oh, Darren, we hate to break it to you, but we don't put zeros on there. Yours might have been zero. <laughs> so it was low, and, yeah, we went into a build program. The other thing that I did, 
is I put some phosphorus in my furrow, actually, on corn. I planted corn, and I put some uh, pro-germinator. It's a product from AgroLiquid that's got highly available phosphorus in there that's protected so it doesn't get tied up. So I get good availability for about two months from what I've seen in my soil or my tissue tests. And so I, I, I put out some broadcast pea like that. Uh, I'm trying to build the soil up, but in the meantime, I was feeding the crop as I went. What I worry about in no-till is spreading dap on top of the ground. Phosphorus doesn't move much, and it's a challenge to get it down into that root zone right away. So, yeah, over time, as you, you no-till drill in things, you're kind of stirring up that soil a little bit. But that's the only challenge I worry about. So usually, George, what we'll talk to you guys about that want to no-till after this is when they pick up that new ground, we'll just say, hey, let's let's soil test it. Let's see what you actually need. And then put literally everything on that you need that is immobile in the soil. So, in other words, phosphorus, as an example, it isn't going to leach ever. So we're not worried about that. I mean, as long as you're doing normal rates on stuff and building a soil to a normal level, it's not going to leach. So you do this, you till everything into that top six inches, and now you're set. Now you can go ahead and no-till for future years. It's not that big a concern to us. But the problem is when you start with five, and if you don't put on great big rates, now you're applying it, like Darren was saying, on the surface of the soil, and that doesn't work too well. So we somehow, some way in no-till have to get that down a little bit but yeah don't I, I'll, I'll tell you too for from firsthand experience because I've done the same kind of thing you're talking about I thought about PNK and I was advised hey do PNK and I did that and then very soon after tissue samples are showing oh I'm terribly low on zinc and I go, oh, I didn't even think about it. But as soon as you start really ramping up your P and K, which is good and you need that for yield, well, now some of these other things are going to be the ones that are lacking. So that's why we just always encourage. You're, that's exactly right. So we always encourage just get a complete soil test, take a look at everything. And I'll tell you now when we pick up new ground, we do a balanced program or at least, you know, try to get all nutrients in balance as opposed to just focusing on one nutrient or two. And granted, it's going to cost a little more money to go that way but now i'm in a lot better shape and for most of these nutrients they're going to stay there for many years until i eventually use them so as long as i own the ground i feel pretty comfortable with that that's rented i want to get a long-term lease from them sure do the liming do the you know build up the soil i wish i grew on magnesium i got 889 pounds of that so it's very high in mag (laughs) yeah uh, we've had ground like that before as well so anyway, I, I feel for you when it's rented ground. That's and, and I'll be honest, this is where, like in our situation in the past as well, we've just shown the landlord, okay, here's what we've got. And I'm just going to lay it out for you. And we, we would love to rent this ground long term, but we need to know that we're renting it long term because we can't put a whole bunch of money out there and then a year later we lose it. That, that doesn't, that's just not going to work. But, you know, if they understand this is where the fertility's at and they, they're, they're probably going to look at it and go, oh, wow, okay, I see it's in really bad shape. Most landlords we have found are usually pretty good and we can work some kind of long-term deal out. And if they, on the other hand, say, well, it's only going to be a one-year thing, then you just have to do like what Darren was talking about earlier, maybe just some banding, low rates of fertilizer, foliar feeding, just anything you can do to get by for one year. It's just, it's really tough and you can't expect a lot. Well, I appreciate your input. Thank you. What should phosphorus be, you know, for a good 
you know, I heard you talking yesterday or day before, 1,600 pounds you build some of yours up to. Uh, no, no, not on phosphorus. On phosphorus, usually we're talking about um, 100 parts per million, so that's of phosphorus. And I think where you're going is it maybe was phosphate that it might have, yes, it might have gotten up to that kind of level. To to convert phosphorus over to phosphate, you multiply times 2.3. So in other words, 100 pounds of phosphorus is 230 pounds of phosphate. So yeah, if, if and you asked me the question about phosphorus, how much phosphorus is good, a good level? Usually we'll yeah. talk about 50 parts per million of phosphorus, maybe 100, but you know, 50 in a lot of cases will take care of take care of it for most people. Okay. Okay. Give me something to go by. Thank you All very right. much. Love your show. You bet. Thanks a lot, George. All right, Brian, get some sulfur questions for you here. Wayne has a multi-pronged sulfur approach. Wayne is in southwest Iowa, and he said, I'd like to have you look at my sulfur approach here and see what you think. So first of all, running a dual-placement liquid strip-till rig, seven or eight inches deep, and adding sulfur to the blend. On corn-on-corn, he'll have six gallons of ammonium thiosulfate, or ATS, with his 28% at the bottom of the knife. Okay. Then he said his, his K levels are low, so he's adding three gallons of potassium thiosulfate to a 31010 um, at the second tube on the knife, which runs Got about it. an inch and a half okay. above the lower tube. All right. He's wondering, first of all, is that okay for his root system, what he's done so far? It doesn't sound terrible. And, you know, he's deep placing these things. He so said his it's CEC probably is in the upper teens to low 20s and it's rented ground. That's why he's doing it this way. Gotcha. So said, what, I, what I would do is I, I would be doing some root digs and I will just say if let's, here's your worst case scenario. If it's a really dry spring. Now, <laughs> the odds are it's not going to be simply because there's all kinds of subsoil moisture in most areas. So if you've already got lots of subsoil moisture, your risk has gone way down. Go ahead. Okay, the rest of the program, he said he's also running a 624.6 plus zinc and a little bit of sulfur in his 2x2x2. So in 2x2 on each side of the road. That helps, by the way. You're now splitting it off, so it's not in one band, it's in two. And then he said over the top, he's going to dry spread 100 pounds of ammonium sulfate. So total sulfur uh, would be yep. in the upper 40s to maybe 50 pounds. That's not Probably. too much in most cases. 50 pounds of sulfur. No, it, that, yeah, I, I think he was was he was and, more worried about does he have enough? Yeah, right. I think he's got enough because let's not forget there's going to be some organic matter mineralization, and you usually get two to three pounds of sulfur for every one percent of organic matter in mineralization in the state of Iowa. So. If you got 5% organic matter, that's 10 to 15 more pounds there. So I think you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, and it, the key thing there, too, was it's rented ground, and it's kind of heavy ground. So he's thinking, if I put a bunch out there, there's probably going to be a whole bunch left after my crop. I want to use what I can. I uh, love your strategy. Uh, that's that's a great way to look at it in many different placements. Thanks, Wayne. Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.